they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. I wish you had told me that at first. <laughs> Would you pray with me? God, as we uh, reflect on your word in this message uh, this morning, ask God that you would help us to hear what it is that each of us needs to hear. Uh, God, that your spirit would speak to our hearts, that we would receive it in your name. Amen. After our gathering this past uh, Wednesday night here at the church, our Lenten soup and the intergenerational service that we've been enjoying over these last few weeks, I dashed out of the church. I went downtown to, to the Reg to enjoy uh, movie night. A Lion was the featured film this past Wednesday night. It's a film that was, uh, uh, had an Oscar nomination for Best Picture. It is a true story based on a young boy uh, in India. His name is Saru who uh, is lost and separated from his mother and siblings. Uh, he ends up, after some harrowing uh, experiences, he ends up getting adopted by a couple from Australia. But then as a young man, uh, a young adult, goes back to India in search of his family. What struck me was uh, the images of India in this film that depicted uh, much of the uh, extreme poverty and pain and the suffering that happens every day uh, in that country, on that continent. And uh, it reinforced for me the need for ministries like Equip India, Equip Asia, and the good work that they're doing, bringing hope and, and healing. But especially grievous to me in seeing that, those images on the screen, is the plight of children, uh, the most vulnerable, who um, suffer uh, uh, abuse, abduction, uh, human trafficking. And uh, every year, the film ends with the message that every year some 80,000 children come up missing in, uh, in India. And of course, it isn't just you know, places like India and, and maybe, maybe not the same kind of extreme uh, situations, but maybe even right here in our own community, children are uh, suffer, uh, children who are neglected and abused right here in our own community. And honestly, I, I have to tell you that I find it a bit of a challenge to my faith at times when I see those kinds of images or think about those things going on in the world. Again, when I saw those, those images on the screen this last week, I, just for a, a moment, for a twinge, I, 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 I thought, God, where are you in all the suffering and the pain in the world? And, um, 
And, and maybe I pass over those moments too quickly instead of wrestling more with that. Uh, as a pastor, I have a theological response to that that uh, attempts to satisfy. But I don't want to get to a point in my life ever where, our, where my heart becomes calloused or indifferent to the plight and the suffering of others. And quite honestly, maybe I need to sit and wrestle with, God, where are you in that? And where am I in that? Maybe that's the more appropriate question. Unless you live in some kind of a protected bubble or find some way to shield yourself, it is hard to escape the reality of suffering or pain in the world. And the more global that we are becoming, the more we realize how connected we are with others, people who are in pain half a world away. It's why this morning we are taking a special offering for those in South Sudan who are in desperate need right now, and it's only getting worse, uh, who have literally nothing to eat and and, the, and on the immediate horizon, it does not look good. And so, out of concern for them. I mean, when I think about it, I had breakfast this morning. I wouldn't think of leaving the house any morning without having my breakfast. And, uh, and I'll probably go out to lunch after church today. And I'll probably gather this evening with, uh, around good food and friends and maybe a warm fire. But meanwhile, there are people uh, in other places in the world who will not have anything to eat today and probably not tomorrow and maybe not even this week. We can't solve the world's hunger problems today, and we can't do it alone, but we can do something. We can pray, and we can share what we have, and, and we can give generously, and we can offer hope, and we're going to do that today. And God wants lost people found, and He wants hurting people helped. And so, while we can ask why is there such pain and suffering in the world, we also have to ask, what is, what is my role? What is my place? What is our place in addressing the suffering in the world? Well, the message title this morning, and so we should be moved by suffering, but the message title this morning is, uh, is what it is, means to be moved in suffering. It's a little bit different of a focus, but not entirely divorced from it. Now, who, wants to, who wants to listen to a sermon on suffering, huh? It's enough to suffer a sermon, Right? I was gathered with friends last night at a party, and someone asked me what I was preaching today on suffering, I said, and a member from the church said, oh, maybe I'll go serve in the, sur- in the uh, nursery tomorrow morning. And uh, it's pretty good, huh? I consider that suffering. This is a worse suffering than serving in the nursery, so something wrong with even thinking about suffering in the nursery, but at any rate, God does not promise to shield us from suffering. But more surprisingly, he does not exempt himself from suffering. We are often tempted to doubt God's love, right? When others or we suffer, we doubt God's love. But God loves deeply, deeply enough to allow himself to suffer with us and for us. And sometimes we doubt God's power when others or we suffer. But we miss the power of humility and vulnerability in a God who stoops and who suffers and who sacrifices for us. The Bible describes Messiah as a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. 
I can only imagine the ways in which Jesus suffered all his life. He was born into poverty, whispers of illegitimacy. Uh, His parents and he uh, became refugees to Egypt shortly after he was born. Jesus also probably lost his father at a young age, Joseph. He um, no doubt struggled to live uh, in first century Palestine uh, under brutal Roman rule. Uh, His own people rejected him. His family did not understand him most of the time. And then there's the suffering that he endured in the events of Holy Week. The anguish of his soul as he took upon himself the sins of the world, the weight of the world, the anguish that, 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 of his soul that he experienced in that, the betrayal and abandonment of friends, gross injustices at the hands of, of religious and civil authorities, the brutal treatment of Roman guards, and a cruel and agonizing death. We sometimes question how God allows so much pain and suffering in the world or for us personally, some discomfort or suffering that we might have to go through. But do we ever stop to ask God, how is it that you allowed yourself to endure or experience pain and suffering in the ways that you did? And what does God know about difficulties and pain that we don't know and don't understand? The scripture this morning tells of Jesus preparing his disciples for the suffering that they will endure as they carry on his work in the world. And the point that Jesus makes is that they can expect the same kind of suffering and mistreatment that he received. And based on all that Jesus says, even in this passage before us this morning, we might ponder, why aren't we suffering? Why aren't we suffering? Especially for our faith. Speaking as a, as a Christian living in the U.S., we haven't a clue what it means to suffer for our faith. Not a clue. And the lack of suffering has done little to strengthen the church. But our experience, or rather our lack of experience with suffering for our faith, is not the experience of most Christians throughout history or even in the present day. Christianity is the world's, still the world's largest religion, yet being a believer can be dangerous and it seems to be getting worse. Christians are discriminated against in 130 countries around the world. And of course, they are not the only people of faith to suffer. Muslims are oppressed in 117 countries, making it the second most heavily discriminated against religion. And Jews, of course, have suffered throughout their long history. Uh, The 24th of this month is Holocaust Remembrance Day. And of course, I think also of the many Christians who suffered in the Holocaust, uh, those who... uh, fought against or resisted the Nazi regime uh, who uh, suffered for doing good. Often in the places where Christians are harassed, the freedom of other religious faiths is under pressure as well. According to a recent, um, religious, a recent study that was done by uh, a Christian agency in Germany, um, there are people, um, uh, it's not just Christians, who are the targets of hatred and oppression. There are many places in the world where the social environment is not conducive to religious communities uh, or even to some non-religious groups. Egypt, Indonesia, Saudi Arabia, Russia, Myanmar, Iran, Vietnam, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, and Nigeria. These states exercise the greatest restraints 
on the freedom of religion. In 64 countries, there is significant restriction by government, including nations with very large populations like Russia, China, and India. And while we enjoy religious freedoms here in the U.S., 70% of the world's population is subject to great or extreme religious restrictions. Jerusalem, the center of Israel's spiritual life, was a dangerous place in the first century for Jesus. We're getting closer to the cross, a symbol of suffering and death. Cursed, says Scripture, is anyone who hangs on a cross. Jesus was willing to be cursed, to take upon himself the curse, to suffer for us. Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem. We are learning what it means to move with him in faith, in strength, in love, and in peace. And if we are truly walking with Jesus, we are also going to learn what it means to move in suffering. Jesus knows what awaits him in the religious epicenter of Israel, and he moves in suffering to the cross. Imagine going to a place where you know things are not going to go well. Imagine what it was like to have people waiting to trap you in your words, scrutinizing you, watching your every move. Imagine being at the mercy of people who have no mercy, whose fears and self-preservation and need to be right is so strong that their hearts are filled with malice. Imagine, uh, uh, imagine making yourself vulnerable to a people who are unable or unwilling to hear the truth or examine the truth, who are blinded by their own unbelief and fears and whose angry rejection is seen as faithfulness to God. Jesus is not the first or last man or woman of God to be subject to suffering and injustice at the hands of people who claim to know God. The prophets before Jesus and the apostles and martyrs after him all were victims. Jesus knew that he was going to suffer. But that did not stop him from going resolutely to Jerusalem. And the disciples also sensed the danger that they were heading into and were wary of going to Jerusalem. And when it is Jesus' time, and I say that because if you remember back through Jesus' life at the beginning of his ministry, there was a time in Nazareth when the people there were ready to throw Jesus off of a cliff, off of the side of a hill. I've been there. And, and then later in Jesus' ministry, there were times when people picked up stones and were ready to stone him, to kill him. And in each of those instances, Jesus was able to somehow walk away from it because it wasn't yet his time. But when it is his time, when it is God's time, then Jesus is, will humbly submit to evil, to injustice, and to the murderous intent of both the religious system and the state. The Lion of Judah will go as meek as a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus willingly moved in suffering to accomplish God's plan. Jesus never called his disciples or us to do anything that he didn't already do himself. Jesus prepares his followers for what, for what they will face when they carry on his work after he's gone. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Don't expect any different treatment 
Jesus says. It's no wonder the disciples hid in fear after the crucifixion because, you know, all the other things that they had a hard time remembering, they probably remembered, (laughs) you're next. And so they hid in fear. But it wasn't their time yet. But when it was their time, they would be ready. Jesus told his disciples and us, to expect suffering and hatred and cautioned his followers not to lose heart or to go astray. Jesus said, I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. Jesus also told them to expect pain and persecution from those who profess to be believers. Did you catch it? Chapter 16, right there in the first couple of verses, Jesus said, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Well, you know how the story turned out, of course. That's exactly what happened. Early Christians were persecuted. They were put out of the synagogue, and they were were persecuted, and they were put to death, even by Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul. He was one of the perpetrators. But sadly, the historical record shows that Christians have also persecuted and killed Jews and Muslims and other Christians. Europe was ravaged for centuries by Christians inflicting harm on other Christians, Catholics and Protestants warring against one another. And Muslims have done it to Christians and Jews and to other Muslims. Much of the pain and suffering in the world has been caused by religion gone bad. And let me stress that. Religion gone bad. Corrupted by ignorance and zeal without knowledge and a collusion with the world with power and greed and militarism and nationalism. All dangerous bedfellows. And when believers refuse to be in league with the world's systems and structures and instead follow in the way of Jesus, they can expect and experience opposition and the hatred of the world. There's a reason. There's a reason why Jesus suffered at the hands of both the religious authorities and the state. We can expect the world and its systems to respond to us much as it did to Jesus when we follow Jesus, when we seek to love radically and to be about compassion, mercy, and justice, when we proclaim the good news of the gospel, and when we seek to do good. Paul the Apostle wrote to believers in Philippi. He said, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle that you, uh, that you saw I had. And Peter wrote this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Listen, this life is not glory. You probably know that. Glory is coming, but suffering is the state of the world that we live in until then. In this life, we will experience suffering. Suffering for our faith, but also suffering simply because we live in a fallen world. Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. We often pray for God's angels to watch over us, to put a hedge of protection around us. We pray pray for protection and deliverance, but still there is no promise or guarantee that we will be completely immune from trouble. We may have to suffer all kinds of evil, poverty, injustice, loneliness, sickness and disease, 
Sorrow and loss, war, terrorism, natural disasters, economic loss, job loss. Sin has brought all manner of suffering into the world. And it isn't only we who suffer, but all of creation suffers. We are both victims and perpetrators of pain and suffering. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We can expect trouble, and when we do, we need to trust God. That is the message and experience of the apostles. Suffering, of course, can serve an important purpose, and I don't want to minimize anyone's painful trials or offer platitudes that are not helpful, but sometimes blessings come in mysterious ways through pain and suffering. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. A blessed life is not a life free of all discomfort or suffering or pain. The maturing of faith almost certainly requires suffering or pain of some sort. Pain and suffering have a kind of refining quality or characteristic. The difficulties that we experience, whether done to us or of our own doing can serve our ultimate good because God in his infinite love and wisdom and power has the ability to work all things, all things for good. I'm not suggesting that, um, that I've arrived at this point of attitude or, or, or perspective, but the Apostle James wrote this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And Paul, who experienced more than his fair share of of trials, wrote in Romans 5, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And then the Apostle Peter, who also suffered for his faith, wrote, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. I think it's fair to say that we have a strong aversion to pain, suffering, or anything That makes us uncomfortable. It keeps us from taking risks. It keeps us from reaching out to others, fearing rejection. And there are great needs in the world, even right here in our own community. But we often are unwilling to step out of our comfort zones or suffer the kinds of challenges that come from being involved or invested in difficult places of need. We may offer minimal or even short-term help, but we don't want the discomfort of long term engagement. Jesus and the apostles tell us to expect suffering for our faith and for doing good, for believing Jesus, for loving radically, for being committed to compassion and mercy and justice. If we are not suffering, it may be that we need to repent of our limited investments and safe strategies. I think security is one of our idols. Comfort is what we need to confess and then be willing to join with Jesus and others who are moved by suffering and who move in suffering.
Amen.